Should Christians sue other Christians? Why or why not? We're going to discuss the answers to those questions today as we dive into the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we're also going to bring sexy back again and continue our conversation around sexual immorality that we began last week in chapter five of 1 Corinthians. Your sex life matters to God, deeply matters to God, and we can glorify him with our bodies. We're going to discuss how and why that's so important. Let's go. You're listening to For Eternity and Until, where together we uncover how to bring heaven to earth in our everyday choices and live the life we were created for. I'm your host, Tori May Hine, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get this party started. Okay, so as always, I'm going to read through the entire text and then we're going to go back through and chunk it out and draw out the things that we need to apply, maybe discuss that we can understand it a little bit more chunk by chunk after we read through the whole thing. And the reason why we're here, just as a refreshment for the vision for this podcast, is that I believe that as we dive into God's word, we're going to get to know God better. And when you get to know God better, you're going to understand your purpose and your destiny better. And you're going to be able to walk in the fullness of the life in Christ that God has designed for you to live on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just going to pass, go and collect $200 and circle around our lives aimlessly. You've encountered the love of God. You know Jesus Christ and knowing him changes everything. And he's given us his word so that we can get to know him. So I believe that This podcast is going to help unlock freedom in the lives of people, help them understand God's word and their place in the world so that we can see eternity on earth in our every moment until we get there. We can have kingdom now. And I believe that that's what God is calling us into right now in this moment. And so I'm so excited to dive in with you. Grab your Bible. Grab your journal if you're walking or if you're on a treadmill or in your car. Please, for the love, don't highlight and write things in the car. (laughs) Don't trip on the treadmill. Maybe just put your listening ears on. Totally fine wherever you are. But if you want to dive in deeper, pull out your pen and paper, grab your actual physical Bible, and let's dive in. Chapter 6, verse 1. Lawsuits Among Believers. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to the court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers, as it is to have legal disputes against one another, is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. 
Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scriptures say the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So I'm just going to nickname this entire segment the things that you should know that you might not know because there's six different times where Paul says, don't you know, or don't you know, which I think is on purpose. Obviously, everything is intentional here. It's the word of God. But he is speaking to the Corinthian people. You know, Corinth was set as a port city in a Roman empire. And we've talked about this in past episodes that they were uh, very knowledgeable. They had a lot of philosophical arguments. And this was something that was holding the church back because they were spending so much time talking about theology and discussing the greater things of God that they were missing the practicality of walking out their faith in Christ. What they said they believed they were not living in their lives. And slowly but surely, the world of Corinth started dripping into the very system of this church to where they're allowing things that aren't even permitted or allowed or praised by people who don't even believe in God. And so in this chapter, he says, don't you know, a few different times, verse two, he says, don't you know that saints will judge the world? Like, shouldn't you know that already? (laughs) Verse three, don't you know that we will judge angels? Well, Paul, I did not know this. Verse nine, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Verse 16, don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? And don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That's verse 19. These are the things that we should 
no. And ironically, he's speaking to these puffed up, arrogant know-it-alls and reminding them the things that they were taught by him at the beginning when they when Paul helped found the church, that they may have abandoned along the way so that they could hold on to their own worldly wisdom. So verse one, he says, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous? This is really strong language. How dare you? And not before the saints. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and the world is judged by you? Are you unworthy to judge such trivial cases? Now, remember what was happening in the church, okay? He's saying specifically in verse 1 that these are disputes against one another. There's crazy division in the church. We've talked about this in past weeks. You can read back on that for through the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. There's crazy division. There's... um envy and anger and strife. Remember in chapter three, when he said, you're just acting like mere humans. When you've been given the Holy Spirit, you've been given the very spirit of God, but where envy and strife exists, you're abandoning your upward call to Christ to just to just live like mere humans. God's called you to something greater. So these dif- disputes have escalated to a point where they are taking it out from the authority of the church and they're going to governing officials who obviously don't have um, or respect the authority of God over them in order to help them create peace, (laughs) which is just sad. And it says in verse three, don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life how much more these disputes among yourself so in matthew 19 verse 28 jesus says to his disciples truly i say to you that in the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel in jude chapter 1 verse 14 through 15 it says It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation of Adam prophesied and said, Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against them. These people are discontented grumblers living according to their own desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They told you that in the end times there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires and these people create divisions and are worldly not having the spirit and in second timothy 2 12 it says if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he will also deny us if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself we are going to be counted worthy of judging the world and not just the world but worthy of judging Satan himself and the angels, it says in 2 Peter 2, 4. What a day. God is going to involve us in his act of righteous judgment. I mean, that's kind of mind-boggling to me. (laughs) 
But did you catch the language in that verse in Jude? That the people that create divisions are not carrying the spirit of God. The people that stir up division aren't carrying the calling of being a peacemaker, of being a righteous judge. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus set us free from sin. Jesus left. And then the Holy Spirit has now empowered his church toward righteousness. And now we have these believers who literally can't get along. So much so that they're calling in the outsiders who don't even believe in God to come and trial their cases in order to bring justice when their calling is to give justice themselves, to be image bearers of God. And with that, fight for justice. And they can't even get along with each other, which is ridiculous. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things that matter to this life? So verse four, he says, so if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I mean, consider this in any other form. If some criminal out there wanted to be represented by someone who could really, you know, throw the punches legally, they're going to hire the most experienced person, right? If I waltzed myself in there, I'd be like, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. I don't know what I'm saying. And in the same way, these unbelieving people didn't even have the tools, don't, aren't empowered with the Holy Spirit to be able to rightfully judge what is and isn't true, what is right and what is not right. And in verse five, he says, I say this to your shame. He was really serious about this because as image bearers of Christ, we're representing God to the world around us. And when we have a church that cannot get along, we can't um, even create peace among ourselves, how are we supposed to be the peacemakers that Jesus spoke about on the Sermon on the Mount? We don't just keep the peace, we make peace. And in Romans, it says to pursue peace at all costs. Do whatever is within your power to be at peace with all men. Why? Because we are image bearers for the kingdom of God. And when there's no unity within the house, how in the world are we supposed to go out and shed light and be examples of unity in love to the world around us? This is really serious because it goes far beyond just the dispute in the church. It goes into um, us representing God well. Can it be? I love this like sarcastic tone that he gives to us in verse five. He says, can it be that there is no wise person who is able to arbitrate among fellow believers. Can it be, you high and mighty Corinthians, that there's no person smart enough, no wise person that can figure out this silly dispute? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. That before unbelievers. So does this mean that you should never take anyone to court? No. What he's speaking to right now were Christian people taking other Christian people to settle spiritual disputes in a non-spiritual court. Verse 7, it says, as it is, to have the legal disputes against one another is already defeat. Like you are losing before you even begin. So why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? When we look at the example of Jesus, Jesus went to the cross silent. He went to the cross 
innocent. He went to the cross fully submitting his will to the fathers. He went to the cross before he went to the cross. He got down on his knees, sweating blood. God, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, will you pass it? And and will you give me another way? And, and God said, no, go to the cross. And so he went. And his last words, hanging on the cross, innocent, dying for the sins of the world as the perfect sacrifice that could finally satisfy the justice of God. In our place, Jesus died and then he rose again three days later. Hallelujah. Now, if he went to the cross and he went halfway through and then he got off the cross, he was like, oh, let me just show you all of my power. Angels come, blah, blah, blah. Like we would still be living in captivity. Instead, he went humbly and he went fully submitted, fully entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. So when Paul asks in verse seven, why not rather be cheated? He's basically saying, why not rather align yourself with the example that Christ gave for us? He died for his creation. He died for his friends. He died for the world. And you can't even settle a dispute between another Christian in your church. What is going on? Verse eight, it says, instead, you yourselves do wrong and you cheat. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. You know, I talk about this with my uh, son and my daughter. I remind my son, Micaiah, hey, you know, your friends are going to come and go. You're eight years old. You're going to have lots of different friends in your life, but you are only ever going to have one sister. And this one sister, this one relationship that you have is special and it's set apart from every other relationship in your life. For us in our relationship with one another as believers, there's a deeper level of intimacy. We belong to one father, one family. We were saved by one God, the same God. We're under the same gospel. We dwell in the same love. We're empowered by the same Holy Spirit. And unlike any relationship that you have with any person in the world as believers, we will not just live this life together. We will live in eternity together. And we need to protect our relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters. When it starts becoming about what we can gain and what we can prove, we move outside of the love of God and into our selfish ambition and vain conceit. And that's really the beginning of any debauchery kind of overflows from that point of us trying to prove ourselves. There's nothing to prove. Christ redeemed us. So instead, these people were wronging and cheating one another. Don't you know, verse 9, the third, don't you know, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's funny because sometimes I've, I've taken this chunk out of context. You know, I'll Google, I'll Google something like a list of the things that you shouldn't do in order to um, make it to heaven, you know. But that's not when you're thinking contextually why he's putting this section in from verse 9 through verse 11. He's putting it in here to qualify what he's saying. Don't you know? They're not inheriting the kingdom of God. You are. So he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral person, no idolater, no adulterer, no male who has sex with males, no thieves, no greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And verse 11 is key. 
And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He's saying, are you really going to run back to the people who you used to hang out with so that you could feel better? Are you going to resurrect your old self up out of the grave to justify where you are right now? No. The Tory that was laid in the grave, just like it says in Galatians, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave me faith, who set me free, who died for me. Am I really going to resurrect old, dead, sinful Tori so that she could come and judge my matters pertaining to righteousness? No. Am I going to go back to my old people group, my old circle, so that I can feel better about myself? No. It's not about being right. It's about having relationship, and especially within the body of Christ. They're going to know us by our love for one another. So that's why Paul's taking this so seriously. And these people that they're looking at and saying, you know, they're living fully in sin. They're fully led by their own selfish desires. They're not under and submitted to the authority of Christ. And you're going to bring these people in to try to judge this matter? No. Some of you were like this, but, and what a beautiful but this is, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And with that, you guys, comes a higher level of expectation and a higher level of responsibility. And we have to go low in order to ascend. We have to serve. We have to bear one another's burdens so that we can glorify God in our relationships. The way that you used to deal with people is not the way that you're going to deal with people in the kingdom of God. That's not how this works. You know, there's so many Christians who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but it's really hard to figure out where Jesus starts and where the world ends in their life. There's no clear line. They love going to church. They love feeling good. They love being coddled, but they don't like being challenged. But the business of the church is not to coddle them and make them feel good, but it's to challenge saints to win others for Jesus Christ. So Paul says, remember who you are. It's a tragedy when Christians forfeit their Christian witness over stupid arguments. Let's not be those people. So in verse 12, Paul shifts and he begins addressing what the Christian attitude should be toward our physical bodies. We're not just called by God to worship him in spirit, but also in truth. And that includes the way we use our physical bodies. Salvation through faith is a gift from God, it says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And this is not sourcing itself from ourselves, but it's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. And yet there's still a message through all the New Testament that this saving grace through faith that we've been given by God bids us to come and die so that we can live a new life. The life of sin and selfishness where it's all centered around us ends and we become fully aligned with who God created us 
to be. And so our shift in belief should cause a shift in behavior. So the outer life of a child of God should be set apart. Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. So Paul lays down some principles for Christian liberty. In verse 12, he says, everything is permissible for me. And it's in quotations in my Bible. And then it says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You can almost see this everything is permissible for me as a slogan or a value statement for the people in Corinth. This was the truth that they lived by. But God is calling his children to an upward calling where they're called not just to choose to do what is permitted, but to choose the thing that is most beneficial. We live in a culture today that is not very different from the days in Corinth that says everything and anything is allowed. Your body, your choice. No big deal if you have sex before you're married. No big deal if you watch pornography and masturbate. You choose your gender. You choose your morals. And if you do or you don't carry your baby full term. But God does not share his authority in these matters with us. Sex is sacred. And it was created by God. And the moment that we receive faith through grace because of Jesus, we forfeit our right to choose in order that we may glorify God with obedience in our body. We were bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. So what we do with our bodies matters. And the irony is that as the world screams freedom, the enemy uses sexual immorality to hold us captive. God desires to set us free. When Paul says, I will not be brought under the authority of anything. I will not be mastered by anything. He's saying, I'm not going to give anything in my life authority over Jesus. No desire for anything can exceed my desire for him. Verse 13, Paul says, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, I don't know about you, but if I don't eat every two to three hours, I get hungry. (laughs) We need food for our physical appetite. But scripture says here that there's a day that is coming when God is going to destroy both, both food and our bodies. This doesn't mean that our bodies are going to get destroyed, but what it will mark is the end of our body's physical desires and physical limitations the end of its demand for physical satisfaction. And although my body will be put down into a grave one day, it will also be raised up and transformed into the likeness of our Lord and Jesus Christ. So the body is not finished when it's put in a coffin. It's to be brought into the very presence of God. The body is for the Lord and his use. It's not mine to determine. This podcast is all about helping us see our lives in light of eternity. And when we see our sex lives in light of eternity, we realize that we're not just created to live down here and please ourselves. Our bodies belong to the Lord and we can't play flippantly with our bodies because it's for God's use. So that means for me as a Christian, certain things that are totally acceptable to the world 
and may even be considered the thing to do, I'm not going to do because my life belongs to Jesus. Verse 15 says, don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined the Lord is one spirit with him. This was happening. There were temples that were set up where men would come and worship false gods and sleep with the temple prostitutes. And think about prostitution for a second. When Paul uses this word, everything is permissible, but not all things are beneficial. That word beneficial is defined as bearing together or helping together. Does it reflect a true belief that we are made in the image of God when we are dehumanizing women and using them for our pleasure? You can, you can read this section of scripture and hear Paul say that. Should we exchange sex for money? Should we degrade the human image of a woman by using her for sexual desires? You who carry the very spirit of God? Absolutely not. You and I as Christians have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are his body here on earth and the channels through which God works. All through scripture, you see God using bodies, using humans to carry out his will from the very writing of scripture to everything that was written about. It was in a body where man sinned. It was in a body that we sin. It was in a body that Jesus came to earth. It was in a body that he lived triumphantly and overcame hell and death so that we could be overcomers. It was in a body that he died and rose again. And now by his spirit, we have come to live within the body of Christ as God's people. Satan also works through bodies. So the question for us is, are we using our bodies to glorify God to gratify our fleshly desire, or even to serve the sinful purposes of Satan. These men were misusing the image of God that they carried with them by using a prostitute to satisfy their sexual pleasure. From the moment of our birth until the moment we meet God face to face, either the Spirit of God is triumphing in our life, to kill our flesh, or our fleshly desires will control us and the Spirit of God will cease. So for me as a child of God, my calling is to say, whatever Jesus did, I will do. Whatever he rejected, I reject. And this is the battleground where I will fight my battles and claim victory is in my mind and in my heart and in my desires. Yes, this is hard. Yes, this is hard. But God can be glorified through every moment. And he's not going to lead us into any situation where he will not in himself empower us to have victory. And Paul tells us how to have this victory. In verse 18, he says, flee, flee sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Flee, like run for your life from sexual immorality. Don't you know, this is our final don't you know of this chapter, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Alan Redpath said, you can't have the grace of God without the government of God. Real deliverance demands real holiness. The price of his precious blood demands a practical surrender of all of your body. You can't have free salvation unless as you accept it gladly from the risen Savior, you acknowledge I am no longer my own. I am bought with a price. The world says my body, my choice. But God says to us, I bought you with my body and I've empowered you to choose righteousness. This verbiage that our bodies are living temples of the Holy Spirit is both true practically, but also beautiful poetically. The temple was used as a place of worship. So that means that my life, what I eat, what I say, what I do, what I think, how I use my body, all of it should be done for the glory of God. Is everything in your temple singing glory, glory, holy, holy? What song is your life singing? I'll close this episode reading Romans 12, 1 through 2, because I think it just so beautifully wraps up this discussion perfectly. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have a second, leave a review or post a comment here on the podcast page. It helps this podcast to be seen by other people so we can spread this message far and wide. I cannot wait until next week and I'll talk to you soon.